Hey everyone, and welcome back to Citywide Blackout, your home for the best creators from around the world. I'm your host, Max Bowen, and joining me now, this is a really wonderful experience because just one year ago, we were talking about uh, um, about his debut album, Free Times, and he's back with new music, a new album, and I'm certain a ton of stories. Singer-songwriter Danny Horowitz is back. Danny, welcome back to the show, man. It's cool to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. I remember this podcast. It did not feel like a year ago. I feel, I feel like we just talked, and I'm so glad we got to connect because I really, really wanted to chat with you. Again, I had a great time the last time when I had an album out. Now I have another album that's just come out. Yes. There's so much to talk about. Lots of stories, lots of updates. Actually, my, my latest song, Sorry From The Road, just came out yesterday. Uh, I don't know when you're going to post this, but it came out April 21st. And uh, I'd love to tell you all about and everything I've been up to. Yeah, it, and that is a phenomenal song. They're really all all good songs too. Because I have, uh, spoiler alert, I have actually listened to most of the soon to be released album, which is called uh, Fenero Rhyme. Which, <laughs> reading the background about this name, is named in part for a, a term referring to mind altering drugs. Danny, right. why? What? <laughs> let's let's, let's, let's okay. begin with that. So. Back in the uh, back in the day, I don't know when it was the 40s. Uh, the, the British author Aldous Huxley and a scientist were were had like correspondence. They were thinking about what to label the new category of substances that eventually be called psychedelics. And it was the scientist who called it psychedelic. And we can all agree that like that's a really kind of awesome term. Um, but Aldous Huxley uh, proposed the the name Fenero Time, which derives from the Greek uh, words meaning to reveal and the mind. And so calling my album Fenero Rhyme is just my way of saying that I think music itself is also a mind-altering substance. It's also a bit more because I think I've advanced a bit more in, in, the, in the production. We've added more harmonies. We've added different instruments. Um, I, I, I add a bit more rock in, in this album. Um, it, I, uh, but mostly I just think it's, a, it's my own little clever way of saying, you know, music is a, is, is a bit of a mind-altering substance and it's an, it's an important thing in your, in your life. Oh, absolutely, man. You know, this is a bit off the cuff, but I am curious. What would you say are some of the artists that you listen to that have that mind-altering effect? Uh, well, I think we talked about this last time. If we didn't, it's shame on me because my number one by far influence is, is the Beatles, and I, I love them. And they, of course, are a band that, that constantly changed, constantly evolved, while at the same time making music that was absolutely evergreen, right? So that would be like probably the number one uh, band that I that I would say. Aside from that, I just think that you have to kind of look at the fulsome arc of someone's career to see how they've they've changed. When you look at so another one of my favorites is Leonard Cohen. It's not that his writing necessarily changed; he was always a great poet, but his voice changed, and so his style changed to accommodate his voice as he got he, he got older. So really, Fenero Rhyme is really just also about about change. You know, a lot of the stories are about life. We're we're always changing. Our minds are being changed. You got to leave yourself open to these new experiences, open to the idea of having your minds change, your thoughts change, your emotions change. Um, and, and so a, a guy like that, or, um, I was listening to an interview of Bob Dylan recently and Bob Dylan often, you know, has known for doing joke interviews, but he was actually talking seriously about how he can't do the things that he used to be able to do from a writer perspective, but now he can do other stuff. And I think that that's super, super interesting. Oh, definitely. Definitely. All right. So let's talk change. It has been one year since, uh, since we had you on the show. In fact, the time of this recording is April 22nd, which is exactly one year from when your last interview was posted. Holy shit, that's actually a little bit creepy. But let's talk about change. How do you think you've changed in that time? I think there's been a lot of 
a lot of growth, I think is probably the word I'd, I'd use. We're always, we're always changing as to quote another Bob Dylan uh, song lyric, he who isn't busy being born is busy dying, you know? So I think we're always, we're always changing for doing it right. But growth is probably the word that I would use. Um, the first album was sort of a lot of the songs I had written over the many, many years that I had not been recording, picking the best ones, going into a studio, not hesitantly necessarily, but unsure of what the results would be. And I'm really proud of free time and there's a uh, free times and there's an openness to it right this time i thought okay well let's let's add more more to the the studio a, a bit more let's give ourselves more time and so i've i uh, in, in the studio i was working with we we well we we found um a young lady who was working there this woman kara who's now a friend of mine and she's been helping with harmonies so we added more depth to the harmonies my producer and i talked about what adds more sounds and we added um, organ to um, the songs. We we added strings, not just to the, uh, one of the songs on Finero Rhyme um, or two songs on Finero Rhyme, but the earlier EP that I released, The Candle is Worth the Game, which, which we can talk about how that went, that that also had, we added strings, cellos and, and violins um, and and then parsed those songs out um, from, from the group. And uh, we, we changed drummers. That was kind of more happenstance because the drummer I used on album one simply wasn't available. But the the drummer we used on this album, uh, Cole, Cole Anthony Humphreys, he's like this amazing rock rock hip hop drummer from Toronto from a band called the OBGMs. And he just like did like brought just like a whole new level of energy to it. And then uh, lastly, and maybe particularly for Sorry From The Road, just on the instrumentation, we added a saxophone solo. Uh, and there's a lovely, beautiful human named Henry Gluck who sadly passed away earlier this year, but I had him play on After Last Call on The Candles Worth The Game, and now on Sorry From The Road from Panera Run. And he just knocked it out of the park and brought all new kinds of character. That's like just on the studio side of it. From a writer's perspective, what's weird is going into the studio adds another tool in my tool belt. So every time I like pick up a new instrument or add a capo to something or or, or you know, different key on the piano. You kind of think new ways to write because you're feeling new things. Well, it's the same thing with being in the studio, working with Sean Royal, who who's this amazing musician and 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 he does great musical arrangements and he's a great collaborator of mine. I'm listening to the way that he's making adjustments to the song's uh, mu musicality on the first album, and then I'm thinking about how to build those kinds of things in from the start. And as a result, my 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 writing is changing a bit. Um, I'll have conversations with Calvin. He'll say what parts he likes about these kinds of songs or that kinds of song. And I'm ultimately, I think we talked about this last time, I'm writing for me. I'm writing songs that I want to play, but you can't help but be influenced by the people who surround yourself with, the people you surround yourself with. And and so that is all part of the change, the growth as a writer. Um, and I, I think it's, it's only going to get even better. I'll tell you right now that we just were in the studio as I'm promoting and releasing this album over the next couple of years. Sorry, the next couple of months. I have 10 songs that we've recorded that I'm releasing next year as well. So I've just got, just got tons and tons on the way. Um, and although this isn't necessarily change, I, I have learned a bit more about releasing. So I'm going to stop releasing full albums and instead just release, release one songs at a time to sort of maximize that Spotify algorithm to see if I can keep growing. And I and I have grown uh, my, my following as well in the last year. So lots of change. It's a mouthful. I'm going to have a sip of coffee while you chew on that. All right. Yeah, you definitely seem like a very different person because when we spoke last time, I think you were not at the very beginning of your musical career, but early, very early. You, yeah. uh, you had recently released Free Times. Uh, you were yeah. kind of just starting out. Um, and I do remember that this was like a lifelong ambition that only had, you had recently like dove into. Do you feel more confident in yourself that you feel like, hey, I've arrived, I'm Danny the Musician? Yes, I do feel a lot more like that. Um, part of it too is one of the reasons I haven't done this for years is I'm not technically a, 
a great musician. Uh, but, but then I was like, well, Danny, just hire studio musicians. They'll play it good. Well, then what do I do about the live shows? And so this was another one of those uh, moments where, well, for years, I would play live shows. I'd be open mic nights or I'd follow somebody, just me and an acoustic guitar. Well, now, guess what? People, if they're coming to see me, have to know that it's not going to sound like the studio recordings. But that's okay. It's the confidence to go up there and say, hey, I'm Danny Horowitz. Here's me and an acoustic guitar. If you like this stuff, listen to the full studio recordings on Spotify. Now it's an interesting thing where I'm not big enough to repl replicate the sounds in the studio, but I'm big enough that sometimes people know when they come out to my to my shows. And it's about confidence, but it's about the joy of doing it. And and that's maybe the most important part is the joy of getting up there and, and doing it. You know, And to experience the joy, you have to have the confidence to do it. Mm -hmm. I like that you have the different versions. Like you have the full studio album, but you also have the more solo acoustic version. I feel like if they're going to sound very, very different, how do you adjust the songs when you go out to play yourself? I play them most, for the most part, the way that I wrote them. And maybe with some performance adjustments in my voice based on what we learned in the studio. Um, uh, that would, but, but mostly it's, you know, that acoustic version comes a little more naturally to me because I, that's the one that I play at home all the, all the time when I'm practicing. Um, in a few spots, I've had like harmonica just to add a little bit more dynamics because like, well, the studio version had a bit more fulsome and at least I can give it like a totally different vibe, make it more folk than rock, that kind of a thing. Um, in a couple of spots where I have been playing the instruments on the on the studio albums, so uh, on the song uh, Be Good, for example, which is coming out in November, that's me. In fact, the album of Finero Rhyme is me in the studio actually playing, uh, playing the version that was recorded. That I will just try to replicate it as much as I as I, as I can. Um, I guess, listen, to quote myself, be good, do my best. There you go. There you go. All right. Then, you know what? Let's move to live shows because I have seen from your socials you have been playing a bunch. Um, yeah. What, uh, what's that been like for you? Was this kind of a – because I, I think before when we spoke, you were doing some live stuff but not a lot. So what's it been like getting out there and being on stage? Yeah. So when I, when I think when we spoke, I have been doing a lot of uh, – open mic nights to build up the, the concert sets. Well, now I've got like two hours worth of concert sets. In October of last year, I did like a full concert where it was just, just me, very acoustic, uh, just me, but people came out to it. Uh, I just last week uh, played a, a show and about a month ago, another show. Uh, I don't really go on tour because that, uh, that requires a whole bunch of setup and you, you do have to have a certain level, but around town, I can play a couple of shows a year. So I can set up, you know, one or two of my own shows throughout the, the year. But what's really nice is people have heard my stuff on on, on social media, and then I've, they reach out to me and they'll say, "Hey, do you want to come and join our set list?" So I take my my full set and I pick forty five minutes of songs that I think will be a good mix, and I go in there, and now people who don't know me get exposed to these songs, and it's always uh, in the context of an acoustic night, which is great too. So the audience is expecting a kind of sound, and I can always cage it and say, "Hey, this is me. These are my songs. I wrote them. If you like them, the studio sounds uh, are, are coming up." Uh, on Spotify or Apple Music or wherever you get your music. So it's been very nice. Um, it would be cool to play even more shows, but to do that, I have to get out of, of the city. Uh, and I haven't yet had the, it's not about the confidence, that's more about the the financial investment to go take your stuff and go go everywhere else. Uh, or even if I just went, like, I'm not, I'm not American, right? So I, I couldn't get paid in America. I'd be happy to like go to America and just like play music so people to, he to hear it and then, and then stream my music. But again, to do that, you still have to fly there. You have to 
you know, that kind of thing. So yeah, um, it's a, that's all, that's all TBD. Yeah, exactly. And that and certainly, and like you said, it's a huge investment because like, again, you gotta, you, you have to get uh, the permits or, or the, the visas, you gotta fly, you gotta travel. It's a large expense. And yeah. as someone who's gone to a lot of local shows, yeah, you don't usually get that money back. Um, no, which is well, I'm wondering if I don't get if I don't get paid, can I just show up in like America and just play music, or do you need a permit to do it for free? Um, I'm going to assume some kind of paperwork is going to be required. I don't think you can just cross the border and just set up shop and just like busker. No, I know. What's easier is uh, earlier this year or last year, I should say, I got a European citizenship, and so I can go to Europe and just and busk around there for a while. But I don't want to be, but I don't want to be like uh, you know, permit. I mean, I'd rather I'd rather have places be like yeah let's let's book you in that would be yeah, great so well yeah. so the growth continues i'm not anticipating that that's the kind of thing that that does happen but just the idea that i am going out there with my name on these posters um people are coming out to see me it's been really great and if, if all i ever get is this kind of small local showing of, of concerts but then all around the world because the digital world we live in people are continuing to stream and listen and grow slowly you know, hey, that's eking out a pretty good existence, if you ask me. Exactly, exactly. And I think it's really cool, too, that people are asking you to join their sets. They're saying, hey, come out and play for us. Now, is that the yeah. venues asking or the bands? The artists. Oh, the artists. cool. Wow. So people are, are definitely hearing you. I think so. I mean, they're, or they're just uh, throwing a dart at the wall and, and see my name. <laughs> well, let's assume, let's assume it's a former, okay? That, that really has a much better connotation. Yeah, I think it's a fair assumption. Yeah. Okay. Now, um, last time we spoke, I don't believe um, uh, the candle is worth the game was even like in the wind at all. No, we had, we had just finished the, we just probably wrapped the initial music recording sessions on it. Yeah. Okay. I want to talk a bit about that, about what you got to do with music in terms of uh, stories and sounds. So this is great. So I went into the studio and I recorded uh, 10, 10 songs initially. Four of them to me had this emotional arc of dark to light. Uh, Downward into the dark, after last call, loneliness and rhyme and morning light. Just to me, had these like four, you know, arc of of progressively getting getting lighter. And uh, I felt like they should have their own kind of thing. And there's this old expression, it's a French expression: uh, "The game is worth the candle." Or you might have heard the question like, "Is the game worth the candle?" Well, because the theme was from dark to light, and basically that expression means that something is worth doing if the cost of it is worth doing. And so I'm saying, you know, that despite all of the hardships in that you might go through in life there's a still beauty to, to being alive and making human connections so it's you know whatever the cost you know it's worth whatever the cost is to stay alive and i just inverted the phrase so it's the candle is worth the game so the warmth and the light getting that is worth having to play the game whereas i think normally the expression is is twisted around and that when i pulled it out to me has this like beautiful little arc it was an interesting experience to put out an ep working with a totally different um uh album artist instead of like a photographer, like on that first album, I, I worked with this wonderful artist named Lily Mason who came up with this concept where we had this one image that would kind of like repeat, but in different variations throughout the singles. Um, and I think I mentioned earlier, but we added a lot of strings, cellos and violins. And so it's a bit more sweeping, a bit more emotional. That's different than my first album, which is a, which is a lot more, you know, regular folk or Americana type of music. And so that was a really cool experience for people to hear a different side of me. And I think priming them for now when Finero Rhyme comes out and it's a bit more, I mean, there's still a lot of folk in it, but it's like starts with rock and then it moves to folk. And I think people are now more primed to hear that I've got different elements to my sound. That's the vibe I really got listening to uh, Don't Look To Me, Sorry From The Road and the other songs on the album. The sound was a lot more. 
you definitely had a lot yeah. more. I think the first one, like you said, it was a little more of a simplistic folk sound. This one's like full band, all kinds of different instruments. Um, was that always the goal for this album to really expand your repertoire? No, I wish it was because I like the way that you put that. <clears throat> it was just another case of taking the songs that I had written and the songs that I have and finding a combination of the best ones and the ones that kind of sounded right together. And as I said, it was originally these 10 songs and then we pulled out these four and then the other six kind of worked together. I had another song that, that I'd written that I wanted to record. I went into a different studio for one day and me and Kara, who I mentioned, recorded this other song. So now we have seven songs, it's like a, a short album instead of a, a, a long EP. And the intention wasn't to do that. The intention was just to make the best versions of the songs. Just like on free times, I think the difference is knowing more. We had a bit more discussion and I was more able to be in that conversation. What will give this fuller sound? What will make it better? And full credit, as I mentioned before, his name, Sean Royal, he comes in with his ideas. He's now more familiar with my songwriting and my my uh, story. So he has a better sense of like, well, what can we add this time to make it different? Let's, you know, add this kind of George Harrison guitar. Let's add this kind of Bruce Springsteen glockenspiel and, 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 you know, so it's not it's not just me. Uh, it's it's my collaborators too. They now are more familiar with my song and storytelling, and they're amazing. I mean, they're some of Toronto's best best talents. And uh, uh, yeah, so between Cola and Sean and Kara and Calvin, that's them getting my storytelling a bit more and feeling like they want to grow it too. It, it that's how it happens. It just all comes together as a team in the studio. How'd you meet these folks? I met. Calvin because I had been writing uh, songs for years and I'd been making home demos uh, and then and thinking about how to record it, how do I do this who knows and it's it's a mystery to me one day uh, I'm in the park a couple of years ago this is at the during the pandemic when you were everyone was locked down and we were finally allowed to be outside in the spring and my friend Lauren was was having like a gathering in the park and one of the people that she brought was this friend of hers named Kevin who I'd met let's say uh, a couple of times over the years we were talking about what I've been up to and I was telling about my music. He's like, you know, I'm, you know, do some music production. I was like, oh, that's right. I think I remember. And we started talking about that. And he tells me, why don't you send me some of the demos that you've been working on? Um, and I think some of the ones like Be My Baby Tonight and uh, Care For You might have been on the other ones. So I send that to him. And he's like, oh, these are, you know, these are good songs, but I think you should go into the studio and really record them and hire musicians. I said, I don't know how to do that. He's like, well, I, I know a guy named Calvin who's at this studio called Dreamhouse. Why don't we have a call with Calvin and see what he thinks? I've already sent him your songs. I said, oh, okay. So I had a call with Calvin and we chatted and Calvin kind of got the vibe immediately, um, knew what I was going for. And we started chatting and then Calvin and I have been kind of working together ever, ever since. And he knows the the musician. So he brought in Sean. He brought in the first drummer whose name was John. He brought in this, now the new drummer, Cola. Um, and then Kara happened to be working at Dreamhouse when I was doing the second album stuff. And she had an ear for music. You know, people who work in technician roles often have their own musical stuff going on and maybe a great source of untapped uh, resources for a lot of artists. In my case, for sure, she knew harmonies in addition to other things. And so on the first album, I was coming up with the harmonies on my own. I think they were effective, but a little thinner with her. Now, all of a sudden, I can do like three, four part harmonies and ooze and echo, you know, all this other extra stuff. And so it kind of all came together that way. It's a very small team. But you only need a couple of people who are really talented that can really help you out. Uh, and I can't emphasize enough how Sean plays pretty much every instrument under the sun. So that helps a lot. Nice. Yeah, I think you're right. It really is just like some folks have this huge entourage. Other folks, it's like three people. And I think it's about you know quality, not, not numbers. And you've obviously got some really quality folks working with you. Do you think you could have achieved what you've achieved with Venera Rhyme without them? No, absolutely not. Uh, not... 
not even a close, not even a shadow. Uh, I mean, that's uh, when, when artists, you know, it's my name on the album. Of course it is, but, but it's, it's never a one person thing. I mean, you know, Paul, Paul McCartney has his McCartney albums, but that's, that's a, that's a rarity. Most people hire other musicians, including by the way, Paul McCartney. Um, and that's an important thing to remember. I was recently watching a documentary about, uh, um, called Hired Guns, which is all about studio musicians and their role in the process. And I bet you a lot of them feel left out. They love playing music and then they kind of feel left out, but they shouldn't be because they are the real the real stars. Oh, definitely. Definitely. All right. Um, you know, I want to ask about stories next because I remember with Free Times, a lot of it was kind of moving on from a bad relationship. And I get a similar vibe with uh, with Afnera Rhyme, specifically with Don't Look to Me and Sorry from the Road. Definitely a strong theme in your music. Why does that remain the case? I love stories. I love meaning. And I think we talked about this last time. Maybe we didn't, but I usually don't write personal songs. I like noodle around my guitar. I get a feeling. What does that feeling mean to me? What's the truth I'm trying to express emotionally? And then write a story around that. And of course, we bring our own experiences. But for the most part, my music is arm's length from my own personal experiences. When I do write personal songs, they're usually not that good. I'm trying to be too true to the facts, which isn't great for storytelling and certainly not for, 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 for music. Uh, and then, uh, or, or they are good. And I just don't want to play them once I've written them, like exercise that part of my soul. It's like a journal entry or something. So I love stories. Now, uh, in some cases, there are stories and songs I write that come that start out, you know, from a, an experience that I've had, but ultimately become something new by the time you're done writing the, the song. The one thing to answer your question more about these sort of darker breakup relationships is that they're more interesting stories, I think, and maybe I'm getting better at writing those kinds of stories. It's and I do have a bunch of love songs, and I do have a bunch of songs that I think are really, you know, uh, tributes to, to to beautiful relationships, but you know that there's there's a limited number of ways that you can find to tell someone that that they're special and that you love them there's an infinite number of ways that you can say you're not right for me um it's just kind of the the nature of the the beast if you really think about it a lot of the complicated stories are more interesting than the simple stories right it, if if everything's going well and this person is perfect in their world that's great but it's kind of the same it becomes the same every time but if there's more nuance hey even if it's like, despite the hardships, here we are together. Well, what's that hardship? That sounds interesting. That's that's more unique to you. Or if it's like, despite everything going well, we can't be together for this reason. Well, what's that reason? You know, like, it's the it's the nuances that make stories more interesting. It's the it's the conflict that makes drama more interesting. And from a listener perspective, I think people are looking for meaning, looking for relatability, and so you want to be as specific in the storytelling as you can. Sad songs kind of lend itself to being more. Uh, more specific, which isn't to say again that you can't have some nice, beautiful, specific love songs. I, I have a couple, even on Fenero Rhyme, um, and some of them are complicated. But but that that's basically it. They're not necessarily personal to me, or if they are in some way, uh, they they've changed. As I said, C can I just talk about Sorry from the Road in particular, which which people assume, perhaps rightfully assume that it's a personal story, isn't at all. I was just listening to Roy Orbison one night. I was on a walk listening to a Roy Orbison playlist. Love Roy Orbison. You know I love old music and uh and i was like man i'd love to write a roy orbison and the lines you know a love like ours was never meant to last it had like a really roy orbison-y kind of sad thing and it was like written very high like at the highest point in my in my voice and slow when we got into the studio calvin was like i think it's 
too high, you're getting a little squeaky, uh, why don't you drop it down a key and it'll still be relatively high. I said, okay. Kicked in a um, cola, had this like great energy drive. Kind of drive. Um, and then Sean, what he brought the glockenspiel and he had this idea of putting in a saxophone solo. He said, why don't we make this an, a Springsteen song instead of an Orbison song? I was like, that's such a good idea. So that's where the sax came in. So it just became a completely different vibe from the story I was trying to tell. The story I was trying to tell was one that I'd written inspired by this artist that I love. It's not a personal song at all. And yet now when I listen to it, I kind of, as a listener, feel and get reminded of things that have nothing to do with what I was had in my mind when I was writing it. Wow, the, the, that that's a lot. <laughs> that's really a lot. I want to ask about the complicated story. When you're writing the lyrics and you're kind of parsing everything out, does it take a while to say, okay, this actually works, you know, this story works? Oh, so, sometimes, yeah, and sometimes no. Sometimes it just pours out of me and it's like 10 minutes later, not maybe not 10, but like maybe like an hour later, here's the song, you know, you're just working on it and playing around. Uh, and sometimes I only have like one or two lines and I can't fit anything around it and I let it sit there and mull over it for a while. I used to think like, well, in one, in one writing session, if I could finish a song, that would be good. And most of the time, I, I mean, most, most times I go into my guitar, I have something, which is, which is good. And it might be a star sign, but it's something. If I can't remember a song the next day, then I know it's not a song that I'm going to continue to play. I have to like write it and then later be like, have it, it's on my mind, that kind of a thing. Um, but I have a section of my phone I call poems. I just write poems, little poems. And if I'm if I'm at a loss for lyrics and I'm sitting on the guitar and I can't think of it, I'll go to that poem and see what I can pull out. And sometimes lines that I've been coming up with, I was writing the missing pieces has, has been on my phone for months and I haven't thought about it. Um, so where does it come from? I don't know. I mean, you remember the old Greek uh, epic poems like the Odyssey, it always starts with Homer and that in incantation, oh muse, breathe into me. That's That's what it is. Even the word inspiration, if I'm not mistaken, and your audience will keep me honest on this, comes from an old word meaning uh, breath. Uh, yeah, probably. Probably. Words of the wise when it comes to being a, a creative, always keep your scraps. You never know when they're going to come in handy down the road. Always keep like the, the chapter you were going to throw away, the song you didn't really like, because you never know, it might come in handy down the road. So it sounds like your storytelling has really gone up a notch, too, along with the music. What do you think your next album is going to be like? Well, it's already in process. And I think it's going to be the best album I, I put out there. I think it's kind of Free Times and Finera Rhyme and The Candles Worth the Game kind of like all, all in. There's going to be a bunch of rock and a bunch of folk. There's going to be sweeping melodrama. There's going to be uh, minor keys and major keys. We're going to add different instrumentation. There's going to be some songs that are that are sparse, but intentionally sparse. Some songs that are full and intentionally full. E even as we were recording it, my, my uh, producer turned to me. He's like, this is a really great album. This is going to be an awesome album. And so now I'm really excited for the one that's coming out next year. And since then, uh, or rather since uh, I've been in the studio, I've been, I've been writing more, just songs have been kind of pouring out of me. And then I'm gonna have a lot more to, to, to say, not only for the, the album that's coming out in 2024, but the one after that. And maybe there's even enough to get the one after that. I wanna keep going. You mentioned something interesting about how people are okay with like a live performance being totally different than the studio sound. Well, my producer and I were talking about at some point, you know, you can only, eventually you, you wanna like give yourself more than a break of a year to write an album. I, right now I'm like going through a really great creative period. So what if after a couple more albums, then we did an album in the studio where we got the band together and we did like an acoustic cover of a bunch of these songs. I think that's such a really good idea. So that that may be down the road too. But at the at the core, when I go into the studio, I work with, with, with Calvin and Sean and we pick 
the best songs that we think are going to be the best and that will go together the best. That's it. I would love to see a recreation of the sound on the album for a live show. That would absolutely kill. I'd love that. Yeah. I would love to do that. I need uh, that. That requires money. You got to hire a band. You got to get sound yeah. elements in. If I can grow big enough, that would be, that would be great. That'd be really Just cool. Fun. Yeah. Is there an instrument that you have yet to use that you want to? Ooh. Uh, no, it's always, song, it's always song dependent. I mean, I do joke around in the studio. I'd love to put a slide whistle in one of my songs, but I don't really need it. <laughs> accordion. Put the accordion in. We, no, we, we put the accordion. We, we put the accordion in. Because oh, Moving On has an accordion on it. And we were just talking on one of my songs that we just uh, recorded. We were floating around the idea of doing an accordion again to, to fill out the sounds. So we might be doing that. Um, but yeah, that is, that, that is, that is an instrument. Uh, we'll see. Uh, we'll, we'll, uh, no, I, I don't know. Nothing I want to, I, I want to make the songs best. I would, that's a good question. Yeah. Cause I know you've done, um, uh, the harmonica a few times in your music and, that, yeah, so and she, that always pairs so well with the folk style I find, um, yeah. especially live, it just kills. Hmm. Oh, I got a great harmonica story for you. Oh, go for First it. First of go all. First of all, Sean's an amazing uh, musician. Every, he has everything. On a couple of places in the songs, I'm like I said, I play the guitar, and I'm playing harmonica in a couple of places on some on, on some songs. Um, but uh, mostly, mostly it's Sean. When it's the complicated stuff, it's him. Listen to this harmonica story. So there's a song that you heard called "Love You to the End," which is on Finera Rhyme. It's going to be the fourth single out, and it's one of my oldest songs. Similar to "Free Tonight," it's like one of the songs when I was a teenager. Playing the song forever. And uh, when we get in the studio last year. Sean says, I've actually got this part in my mind to play a harmonica thing at the bridge. Can you, you know, when next time I'm in the studio, I'll just do it when I'm in for something else. I'm like, okay, cool. Basically the whole year goes by and he hasn't gotten around to it. And I'm asking him, Hey, can you get the harmonica piece and get the harmonica piece? Yeah. I just can't seem to find my harmonica. Like we'll figure it out. Anyway, finally I said, Calvin, you know, we got to get this thing mastered and mixed properly. So maybe we'll just like go without that harmonica piece. And Calvin's like, yeah, but it sounds pretty good to be honest without it. So I asked Sean, like, can you do it this weekend? Otherwise, we're going to master. He's like, actually, yeah, I will. No problem. At the end of the weekend, I asked, how did it go? He's like, great. It went really well. Also, I used Bruce Springsteen's harmonica. I'm like, cool. Wait, what do you mean? Like the same model? He's like, no, Bruce Springsteen's actual harmonica. It turns out Sean's sister was at a Bruce Springsteen concert years ago in the first row on some guy's shoulder. Springsteen plays Thunder Road, which is a very harmonica-oriented song, as you know. And then at the end of the song, he gives her the harmonica. And so Sean couldn't find his harp which is what he calls a harmonica. And then he borrowed his sister's harmonica. And so I was like, after I heard it, I was like, Calvin, we, we, just, we have to mix this in. I need this story in my life. Holy shit. That yeah. is a great story. Oh my God. He's I told my harmonica. uncle this story. I told my uncle this story. He's like, well, it would have been more impressive if you got the rights to, to sample Bruce Springsteen's music in your song. I'm like, no, it wouldn't be cooler. This is a way cooler story. What are you talking about? It's a Anybody much cooler story. Yeah. 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 I mean, it would it would have been cooler if you could get him to sign the harmonica. That would be even well, cooler. It's not even my harmonica. But well, I, I've never seen Springsteen in concert, and this year I'm seeing him three times. <laughs> Give me the harmonica, please. I want one of my yeah, own. Maybe I'll go up to him and be like, oh, this is my third concert. Can you sign my harmonica? <laughs> I'm sure he's gotten that request a bunch, actually. I'm, I'm sure he, he wouldn't even blink at that. Like, I sure no problem, dude. Oh my god! That, I'm sure you wouldn't get within 100 feet of Springsteen anyway. I'd be like, I'd be like, can you say it? I was like, get that crazy person away. Yeah. <laughs> Security, yeah, yeah, that guy, get get him out of here. No, but that is such a wonderful story, man. And I, I definitely, one of the things I really have liked about your music is that you've grown so much in such a short period of time. Like you dove into this 
Um, maybe, and I'm not one to judge at all, but maybe a little bit later in the game than some folks do, but you've really dove in full force and you've shown just this amazing growth over the course of just a few albums, really, just like one year, really. So yeah. I'm really looking forward to like what the next album is going to offer us. Um, or now that, now that I've said that, I do want to ask, are you a real perfectionist when it comes to being done with something? No, I believe very strongly that uh, perfect is the enemy of the great. In fact, I, uh, I, I, I hesitate to validate anybody who calls themselves a perfectionist because what they're really saying is, see, good is an objective measure. Great is an objective measure. Perfect is an opinion. So what you're really saying when you say you're a perfectionist is, I want it the way that I want it because I think it's the best. Well, that's not ev what everybody thinks is the best. And, and you're just being a difficult person. And part of the joy of music, as I said, is collaboration. That's like one of the biggest parts of it. You gotta be willing to like close the door. If you wanna re-record it and do a different version of it, you can do that. But you, you, you sit there, you've got, your, you've got your collaborators, you sit, you talk, you think, you give up a little control, you make decisions where you need to, and then it comes together beautifully. It all works out in the end, but there is no such thing as being perfect. You're just, you're just basically admitting to the world that you're a difficult person and saying, but me being a difficult person is is actually a really good quality. Well, no, it, I don't I don't think that I don't think that that's that that's true because there's more than one way to uh, to skin to skin a cat. And and if it's a really good song, it's a really good idea, then it will come together and it'll come together great. Um, otherwise, otherwise you'll never be done. You'll you'll uh, you you might have inertia or you'll drive people crazy before the end product, and you won't be someone that people want to work with or play with ever again. Yeah, I think you're right perfectionism can be a bad thing. Like, on the one hand, it's cool that you're so driven to make it, you know, perfect. Perfect is subjective. And that's part of the beauty of it too, right? You can like any of the music that you like, and that's the only thing that that matters, whether you like it. When I write songs, that's why I think I'm, my growth is also because I'm writing them for me because I want to love them. And, like, that's, that's enough. When you listen to something, you want to listen to things that you love. Other people tell you this band sucks, that band sucks. Ah, get bent. No, it's if you like it, you like it, and that's the only important thing. Nothing is perfect, and that's kind of the beauty of being human, being alive. We live in a world of squiggly lines. You know, there's no straight lines in 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 real life. Everything is squiggly. Everything is is is, is fluid. And that's what makes art art. You know, it's it's yeah. what you love, what speaks to you. Exactly, exactly. I mean, just because you don't like something doesn't make it bad. It just means you didn't like it. Your opinion is like you said. It's just your opinion. You know, you've talked earlier about releasing the music. Of course, you're doing this a single at a time. And, of course, we live in the digital age of music. The days of putting out, you know, physical CDs are kind of fading into the background. How does that impact your strategy when it comes to releasing music, knowing that if you buy a CD, it's likely to be on someone's shelf for who knows how long? It's it can be tough sometimes because I realize that like if if people even just spent ninety nine cents every time for every every forget about the streams okay but like for every person who's been listening to me if they'd spent ninety nine times I would have quite a substantial amount of of income from my from my music and be able to support myself as it is because Spotify did a terrible job when they started their business of their Spotify's model for anyone who doesn't know was built out of what they thought people would pay on a monthly basis to listen to music and that was ten dollars a month. Whereas it used to be that you as a person would spend hundreds of dollars a year on albums or at least dozens, you know, like, I don't know, anywhere from 30 to, depending on who you are, 30 to $3,000 a year on music, right? You buy a couple albums a year. Everybody was doing that. And so there was a viable music industry. Now it's not like that. Now you get fractions for a stream, but you get unlimited music. It's great for the consumer, um, bad for, you know, artists. Um, for me, 
right now it's still growing, getting my streams up. I'm lucky that I've got a day job that I can, you know, use and and, and afford to uh, to do the music. I can't go on tour, but I can make the best versions of the sound. I've teased the idea to myself of getting some merch. I've teased the idea to myself of, of putting vinyl out there and going to shows and be like, hey, buy specifically the next album that's coming out and doing vinyl. It is very expensive to do that. And every time I look at the cost numbers, I'm like, ah, but for the cost of just printing the out the vinyl of this album, I can actually just record more songs. So I don't really have an answer to your question because mm -hmm. right now, um, to hear my music is to hear the music of someone who takes it as seriously as any musician can take the music. Part of the reason why I'm able to do that is because I have my own income stream and I pay for it and I do it the way that I want to and make it as seriously as I can, like a second full-time job. If I start investing in the merch, what does that do to the to down my my needs, you know, based on the overhead costs and what I need to do as a result of that? But so it's uh it's it's not an easy thing. Uh but uh uh just I'm gonna keep doing it for the music. Yeah, that's all. Yeah. Well, hey man, if you ever put out vinyl, I'll buy one. Absolutely. But I definitely okay. see your dilemma because it's like yeah, I'm going to spend X amount of dollars. How many am I actually going to sell? Am I going to have this box of unsold vinyl or T-shirts or what have you just sitting there, you know, almost like yeah. mocking you with, hey, no one's ever going to buy us. You basically pissed away the money. <laughs> There's a great episode on The Simpsons with the Malibu Stacy doll, if you remember yeah. this episode. And uh, and one little girl still buys the, Malibu, the, the Lisa Lionheart doll at the end. Yep. And Lisa says, you know, if we could just reach that one girl, it'll all be worth it. And uh, Stacy says, yes, if that little girl happened to pay $600,000. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> no, no. And, and that's a little my face with a lot, a lot of bands. Like one time I was out at a show and I had bought a CD of a band. Like a home, I realized, wait a minute, how am I going to play this? I have very few devices that can actually play CDs. I think my PS4 could do it. My DVD player could do it. But that's about it. My car CD player is gone. It's, it's, it's history. I mean, probably the next generation of uh, consoles won't even have CD drives anymore. It'll just be all, all download. Yeah. Uh, the reason to buy CDs now is because CDs are cheaper to print than vinyl, and you're supporting the artist. Exactly. If you like the artist, you buy their CD, you get their autograph, and you make it. And that's that's the reason to buy. I actually do play vinyl, so I do love vinyl, but I don't play CDs. If I buy a CD from an artist, it's because I just want to support them. Frankly, if I, if I, buy, if I buy vinyl or T-shirts, also just because I want to support them. Um, yeah, but, yeah. Well, that's that. That's that. Like a practical mind in me. It's like, wait, how many actually listen to to this thing? It's like it's like paying for the right when you stream it to say that you've supported the artist. I think that's what I get you. No, I get you. That's again, that's a good perspective. I like that one. All right, Danny. So we are coming to the end of the interview. Uh, but I do want to no, ask. No. I know, right? It, it, it's flown right by, man. You know, we've flown right by here. Can we do that? We can do this again next year, and I can exactly, an update on exactly. We can do, we can just do the annual Danny check-in interview. Where we see what's new with you. We talk about the music. Um, so I know you're going to be releasing uh, more singles down the road. You've got uh, yeah. it's no use trying to change me coming out on June second. That's uh, right. After that, though, what can folks look uh, look forward to? So it's no use trying to change me, which is very Dylan esque uh, kind of a song with a banjo and organ. Um, then Love You to the End, which is the one with the Bruce Springsteen harmonica, that comes out in July, I think July 14th. After that is a song called Daisy with beautiful, rich, almost Beach Boy harmonies, but set to like a lot of, uh, I don't want to say psychedelic rock, but almost like a, like, like, like a 60s rock sound. 
which makes sense if the Beach Boy harmonies are in there. Um, that's Daisy. After that, we move away from the rock sound into the we, the, the album kind of finishes more on a on a, on a folk sound. So there's a song called um, Waltz. Sorry, uh, Waltz onto the Waltz once more. Sorry, and that's an interesting song because I wrote that as an exercise in songwriting. I hadn't written a song in a while. I was like, let me just take a poem or something and turn this poem into a song. And I was reading uh, some Shakespeare love poems that this isn't going to work. And then I took a bunch of these Shakespeare uh, soliloquies about mortality and I kind of turned them on their heads and reimagined them to be a song of, to be like different, three different kind of phases of, 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 uh, of love. And then the last one will be Be Good, which is sort of a, just an inspirational uh, song about just like, like, you know, do your best, try your best. Things are going to be okay. Kind of pos positive vibes without being like cheesily positive. And so they're each being released one at a time because of the waterfall strategy that is good for musicians where you release the album one song at a time rather than the full album. I found that with free time, so I put out five singles, 10 songs on the album, thousands of streams on the songs I put out. When the album comes out, there's like the last two songs on the album, which I, I really like, have like hundreds of streams. It's not, it's not crazy to understand why. Who's going to listen to 10 songs in a row by the same artist? After two or three songs, like, ah, you know, our... I'm going to listen to something else. But if you release one song, you can give them three minutes of your time. And then I think that by the third or fourth time, they're like a new song. Like, oh, what was that other song that came out two months ago? I want to listen to that one again. And there's benefits to like slow, uh, slow releases. I was reading up about it. So that's what they can look forward to is every six weeks till November, another song. And then uh, I'm going to have a song out uh, next year called No Heroes Here. I recorded it. Uh, thankfully, Spotify for Artists gave me a free day in a studio. Kara and I, Put together this the song that I'm really proud of. It's going to come out next year, very folky as well. And then, uh, then the album to come out in 2024, tentatively titled "Days Never Know." Ooh, I like that title. I like that one. All right. Well, Danny, as always, man, great talking to you. Great learning about the music and looking forward to all the new releases. And for the folks at home, you know what to do. Follow this guy on his socials. It's Danny with one N Horowitz. Find him on Spotify. Follow him like his stuff as we always say the interaction drives everything up it makes everything better so always support the artist however you do it and danny uh we'll be talking very soon and looking forward to the next uh conversation can't wait thank thanks again man thanks for having me on thanks for being such a supporter of me and supporter of indie music overall i really hope your your listeners like my music listen to my music if they don't like my music let me know too just like just thanks for to everyone who's listening at all that, that means a lot to me thanks thanks to having me thanks to you for having me on i look forward to next year yeah, me too this is Angelina Singer, author of the Upper World series, and you're listening to Citywide Blackout, the best podcast for independent artists. And that brings this episode to a close. Thanks to everyone for listening, and be sure to follow the show on Facebook at Citywide Blackout and Twitter and Instagram at Citywide Max. You can reach me at citywidemax at yahoo.com to suggest a guest or submit music for the Blackout Collection playlist. You can find this show wherever you check out your favorite podcasts. And new episodes are aired every Saturday at 10 p.m. EST on Boston Free Radio. That's all for now, and I'll see you next time.
It's no use trying to change me I'll only let you down It's no use in complaining The world keeps spinning round Try to stop the sun from setting Try to catch and keep the wind inside a jar There's no use trying to change me You won't get very far It's no use trying to change a tire When the engine won't make a sound It's no use trying to light a fire When the storm is bearing down You can lead a horse to water You can try and put the cart before the horse It's no use trying to change me You'll only make it worse Like thunder follow rain like sheepdogs follow sheep, sheep won't help you dream I'm not the one to hold, hold you late at night. Taking. We cannot force someone to love us Even though our hearts are breaking Try to keep a stone from sinking Try to keep your heart from turning into stone It's no use trying to change me You're better off alone Oh, you're better 